Can you turn that on for me? How do you turn it on? Good morning. First of all, apologies. You have to listen to me and not our beloved senior pastor, who, if you didn't know, is not very well. So we, we pray for him. Lord, we ask your blessing on Rob, that your healing hand will be upon him and he will get over this, um, this allergy quickly. Reminds me, I think I was about fourth choice for doing this. Um, reminds me of when I first came to university in... 1967, and I was in the, I was fresh from New Plymouth Boys High School, and I was in the Victoria University Junior First Team, and we played at the hallowed turf of Athletic Park, curtain raiser, to the uh, seniors playing, and, and um, it, it was during a flu influenza epidemic, and the coach, after we'd finished our game, as a curtain raiser, the coach came to me and said, oh, listen, we're so short, can you keep your boots on? And so at 18, I played my first game for the Victoria University um, senior team, which was quite a big deal in those days. There were four All Blacks in the back line outside me, and I was trembling in my boots, but it, it went all right, and we actually beat Petoni. I think it's the only time in my whole rugby career we ever beat Petoni. But anyway, that's how I felt a bit when, when um, Rob asked me to, um, if I could fill in, and, and, and so here we are. I thought what I would do is I would um, add to and repeat something which I shared a, a few years ago because it's so fundamental. You know, what is this? I know a lot of you, you're quite right, of course. I know, I know a lot of you have it on your phones rather than in the printed copy. But, but why is it so important in our lives and how should we use it? That's the, the, the thing I want to talk about with you this morning. Now, the present-day view of the Bible and the culture that we live in is pretty negative, isn't it? Most people forget about it, uh, you know, think it's dumb, it's old-fashioned, you know, science has proven that it, it, it isn't true anymore. It's an ancient book with nothing to say to our present circumstances. Uh, it talks about miraculous things which modern science has proved could not happen, supposedly. It's used by some to justify hate speech against women and homosexuals. It says, outdated and stupid things like women are not permitted to teach and women should wear hats in church. And it may be even be used by some groups to justify everything that Israel does. Um, there's some very problematic verses in Scripture. I was reading, funnily enough, I was reading in the book of Joshua this morning about the, how God prepared the land. And I'm not passing judgment on this particular um, passage, but it's problematic, to say the least, for us as Christians. So, so how do we use it? Philosophically, the Bible is what I call an epistemological necessity. Epistemology is about how we know things. How do we know things are true? That's what epistemology is all about. It's not just big words, but it's vital for defending our evangelical or our more conservative Christian worldview. The Bible answers the question, how do we know what we know to be true? You know, when someone says, well, how do you know that? Well, fundamentally, it's the Bible that informs our worldview. The Bible supplies the information of our faith. That's where we get the, the detail and the, and the big picture and, and from, particularly the big picture. Of course, it needs to be put into its perspective. And Rob, we have a very gifted preacher in Rob who does that magnificently. When I first used to work 
in Scripture Union camps, the, 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 the twofold question around the Bible were these two questions. Firstly, what, what does the passage mean in its original context? When it was written to the Ephesians or the Philippian church or to the ancient Hebrews, what, did God, what was God trying to communicate then when it was written, you know, thousands of years ago? And then secondly, understanding that context, what does it mean to us now? What challenge, what information, what picture of God and his ways do we, do we get from that? So the Bible is the touchstone for preventing error. When we think we're, as a church or as a nation, we're sliding into error, where do we go? We, we, we basically go to, to the Holy Scriptures. And if, let's just take one, one verse, one series of verses out of Paul's letter to the Colossians and just look at, look at how much there is in this little passage. It's one of my favorites. Consider, I've said all the important pillars of faith in this short passage. It talks about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I love this bit. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a wonderful picture of Jesus, that, you know, he's the linchpin, he's the, he's the rock, he's the pillar, he's the, the person who gives meaning to the whole show, to the whole shebang. If Without Jesus, it, it would, there would be no significance to these things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. That's not just us being forgiven and reconciled to Christ, but the whole of creation, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a, what a wonderful passage. And and all that, all that information that informs us about the things that we believe in. And that's, that's what the Scriptures are meant to do. Now, there are lots of other ways of knowing other than reading the Bible. And we, those of us, most of us who are brought up in a scientific world, you know, we, we have the scientific method. You know, we, we, we have a problem, we go out there and we collect some data, we, we look at it and we, we prove whether it's true or not, we do an experiment and that's, that's really important, particularly in these times of, you know, people going down rabbit holes and believing conspiracy theories. And it's really important that we uphold the scientific method, that, that you know, that can, that can show whether vaccines are real and do, do a proper job or whether this medicine that we give our children is, is okay. But that only answers certain questions. The scientific method doesn't answer questions about origins and meaning and purpose and, and, and stuff like that. Those are different sorts of questions, and the scientific method really can't answer those. And a lot of secular humanists and rationalists would want to have the scientific method answering all those questions. So there are problems with the scientific method and with rationalism. It, it provides limited answers to a limited range of questions. They're important questions. Science can, can tell us a lot, and, and Christians need to support good science. And I know a number of you are scientists, and that's, that's important. Another way of knowing is the authority and tradition of the church. Catholicism in, in particular has emphasized the, the tradition of the church. And, and, and that's what Luther and Calvin and other uh, reformers reacted, reacted against. They said, no, the, the tradition of the church is not always right. We always need 
Um, we always need sola scriptura, as John Calvin said. We always need to go back to the scriptures and test what they're saying against it. And the, in any way, the creeds and catechisms of the Bible are Bible-based, or in fact should be. Francis Schaeffer, who, any of you read Francis Schaeffer? When I was a, that student, I, I became a Christian, thank you. I became a Christian in 1968, the year after the, my first trepid, trepidation onto um, Athletic Park. And uh, Francis Schaeffer, I listened to his tapes on reel-to-reel tapes. And, and I think the, most, the book that made most sense to me was this book was, um, he wrote, the first book was The God Who Was There, but the second book, this one, is He Is There and He's Not Silent. He's spoken to us. He's not only a God who actually is there, but he's given us uh, um, uh, ways in which we can, can live. Karl Popper said, objective reality is getting dim and all that remains is the model in the scientist's head. Wittgenstein, who was, who was the father of linguistic philosophy, you know, stuff's only words. You can't believe what's in the Bible because it's only words. He said this, he said, there is only silence in the areas that man desperately needs most like values, ethics, and meanings. Even Wittgenstein said that. Francis Schaeffer, I've just quoted, said, the whole question is whether there is anyone adequately there in the universe to speak. And I think I've told you the story of a, a very much loved colleague who used to be at work with me who was a Zen Buddhist. And we were chatting one day um, on a field trip, and he said, uh, the difference between you and me, Richard, is when I pray, I only meditate and I'm looking inward. When you pray, you actually assume there's someone out there. And that's, that's what we do, don't we? We assume that we live in a universe which is imbued and created by a, a loving creator God and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Whether there is anyone adequately there in the universe to speak to us, very important. Note uh, Pro Professor Lloyd Gehring, who some of you are maybe old enough to remember, who was a, very, a real critic of evangelical Christianity, um, talked, talked about people like us believing in bibliolatry. You know, we worship the Bible. We took it all literally. Now, we don't do that. And this is what C.S. Lewis said about that. C.S. Lewis says, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him. We must not see the Bible our ancestors too often did, as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts isolated from their context and read without attention to the whole nature and purport of the books in which they occur can be taken for use as weapons. And that often happens. Christians have been guilty of using Scripture as a weapon. And I don't need to quote you examples of, of that going on. Given the above, you might think that Christians would still value reading the Bible, but um, unfortunately the picture is rather dismal. A survey of British churchgoers in 2020, and quite a large sample, sample this is, remember this is not the general population, this is churchgoers, 16% read the Bible daily, and I, I suggest you can take away 5% for those who are lying, <laughs> who, who said that. <laughs> 11% 11, 11 weekly, and 15% said they had not read the Bible in the last year. This is church attending, presumably, Christians. 18% had, had never read the Bible. 
Unbelievable. So one-third of all British churchgoers had a totally Bibleless faith, so one suspects that, it, that, that they would have picked up some of it in the liturgies. That's one of the great advantages of the Anglican church. If you go to Anglican churches and you, and you, you listen to the liturgies and the confessions, etc., you can't avoid reading the Bible. And many Anglicans I know remember the liturgical statements very well. And similar surveys in New Zealand, this is the top graph is Bible ownership. In 1986, 85% of households had a Bible, but by 2017, only 57%. That's the whole population. And then in response to a survey, and again, you've got to be careful in, in people's responses, Christians said 22% yes, said, yes, I do have a Bible and I read it daily. Uh, 15% said, yes, and I read it weekly. 7% said, yes, and I read it once a month. Um, 31% said, yes, I really read it. <laughs> 12% said, yes, but I never read it. Uh, 5% said, I don't own one, but I'm interested. <laughs> and, and, and a smaller percentage said, I don't even own a Bible, but what's more, I'm not even interested. So the picture of, 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 you know, this thing in our lives, or if you have it on your phone, is, is pretty dismal. Charles Spurgeon said, famous Christian, said, this problem is not new, and he's writing in the 19th century. He said, a great many Bibles, even those of the faithful, show little wear. <laughs> they decorate bookshelves and nightstands with birth announcements and marriage licenses tucked into their onion skin pages where they run no risk of getting lost. Recently, some of you may be aware, we found a taonga of this church. We, we found a Bible in, that was dedicated to Woburn Church in the 1920s, and we'll soon be celebrating our 100-year anniversary in this church, and we have the Bible that was presented just after the opening of, the, of the, what was then the Woburn Baptist Church, which became the Lower Hutt Baptist Church and is now Hutt City Baptist Church. So Bibles were pretty central, and some of you probably had family Bibles. Any of you got old family Bibles that go back to the year dot? Yeah, a number. They're quite precious taonga, aren't they? So there's a sad conclusion that the Bible is becoming increasingly irrelevant, not only to most secular New Zealanders, but also to many Christians. If you don't read the Bible, where do both the universals you know, like, is there a God, and did he make the earth, and has he forgiven us, and so on, but the particulars of our faith, where do, where do you get them from? Do people just make them up? I suspect a lot of people do. It's made worse by the fact that the Bible is less read publicly in churches, and there is less expository preaching. Thankfully, we have a senior pastor who's a great expository preacher, and as I said before, he not only expounds the Word of God, but he gives us the background so that we can better understand the challenge and the encouragement that God is giving weekly, you know, through the minor prophets or whoever. And we're incredibly fortunate. We were talking about this in pre-service pre-meeting. Now, we have a number of you who can all stand up here and in different ways expound the Word of God. We're incredibly fortunate in this church for the number of gifted people we have who can do that. It's wonderful. 
It's made worse by the fact that the Bible is less read publicly in churches and there is less expository preaching. Unless the insights, dreams, and visions or ideas becoming popular in church are biblical, we are right to be careful of them. You know, what is our guide? What is our touchstone to what is going on? And the logical conclusion that many of you will have seen in your lifetime, I certainly have, that the Bible has been removed from schools. I went to a public boys boarding school and we had scripture reading and prayer and hymn every morning at at general assembly and every night before we went to bed. That's all gone. Um, The parliamentary prayer, my dear friend Trevor Mallard has largely been responsible for for that, recognising he says that, you know, we're a secular multi-religious society and therefore is is the parliamentary prayer still relevant? Things like the swearing in of court, you know, you no longer you no longer have to put your hand on the Bible. You can put it on something else, or you can take another um, means of showing what you say is truthful. So the the centrality of the scriptures has been removed in so many areas of society. Why don't we as Christians use our Bibles more? Well, many modern Christians say that they are made to feel that they're not competent to understand what they read. You know, don't be put off by great minds like Rob's. We don't all have to understand the, the, the background in the way that he does. That's what, that's what biblical, that's what theological seminaries and Bible colleges and preachers are for. They do that for us. They, they unravel it for us. And we can, if, if we want to, we can go away and study at a, at a Bible college or we can do a course online. How many of you have done some study at a theological college or a Bible college? Quite a number of you. The irony is that one of the goals of the Protestant Reformation was to translate the Bible into everyday language. That's that's what Martin Luther did into German in in that case, (coughs) so that ordinary people could read it. And the, 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 the Wallers in the Catholic Church were determined that he wasn't going to do that because they didn't want the people realizing that they had as much power as the of the as the church did. So it was revolutionary what Luther was doing. And the last point is that we're in fact very lazy, aren't we? And I am too. You know, we know that we should be reading the scriptures, but actually we don't do it nearly as much as we should. It should be something we do daily. What the Bible is not, let's be clear, it's not a 21st century scientific textbook. It doesn't tell us in modern scientific language how creation occurred. It tells us what happened and why it happened, what happened and why it happened, but it doesn't necessarily explain it, how it happened. It's not a history book written with all the rules of modern historiography, which is especially important when you read Genesis and the creation story. And how do we reconstruct that ourselves? The Bible is not a huge tome or manuscript dropped from the heavens on stone tablets. And so, you know, every verse we have to take um, seriously, as some people would want us to do. It's not a single book, but it's a collection of 66 books written over over a period of about a thousand years. And and amazing, from the time it was written to the time the first copies were made, I was... uh, Rob's been preaching on Malachi. Now, I was looking, doing a little bit of study on Malachi, and apparently 
the, the oldest copy of Malachi that is in existence, which is in a museum somewhere, is, um, was, it dates from about 600, the year 600 AD. So we have a copy of Malachi, which is from 600 AD. What the Bible is, the Bible bears true and faithful witness to spiritual truth, the truth about God and his relationship to humanity, that's us. It is a great conversation of people who have witnessed what God has done in history. So many of the writers were personally involved, not, not just in the New Testament, but also in the books of Abraham and so on. It's a record of people who agree and disagree and argue and even quote each other. It's often a record of disputes and, and of, of, of letters being written to solve disputes, which can inform us um, today. The Bible, above all, puts forward a world, world and life view and one that is sufficient for belief and salvation. And for me, as I've said in the past, the reason why I'm still a Christian is that the worldview put out there by the Holy Scriptures is better than any other worldview of answering these fundamental questions. You know, how did we get here? Was it all time and slime and evolution, you know, with a random hydrogen atom beginning it all? Or was, in fact, there a creator God behind the universe? Those, those are the choices. You know, is there any meaning when I, when I bother to make a promise to the person I'm marrying and saying, I love you and I'm going to commit myself to you for the rest of my life and as, as much as I can? Is there any meaning to that or is it just a sociological thing that most people do? And in fact, the majority of people don't anymore. Some 60% of couples now in New Zealand, I read the other day, are not, uh, are not married. And this worldview happens to be better, better than any other I've discovered. Yeah, that's the conclusion I've come to. What is important, of course, is the prayer of illumination. An acknowledgement that both the preacher and the congregation need God's Holy Spirit in order to both preach about and understand what is read. I always loved it when our old Presbyterian minister in the church that I grew up in used to say, may, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer, or something like that. The prayer of illumination is a confession that the truths of Scripture are not brought home to us by cleverness, scholarship, and human insight, but by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works in these ancient words to apply themselves to our lives in the same way that the Spirit worked in the minds of the ancient writers. And we are dependent on God's Holy Spirit, part of the triune God, to illuminate those things to us. So then what must we do as good Bible-believing Christians? We must read it regularly with imagination and expectation of what God is teaching us. Sometimes we need to read it, and we will read it in desperation. Now, I, no doubt many of you have had experiences like a couple of things I'm going to briefly mention. Now, that's not to say that we all, all the time go looking in the Scriptures every morning for a verse that's going to leap out at us and somehow change our lives and tell us that we should go and invest in 15 houses or something. Um, but sometimes God does that, and I'm sure you've had that experience. Um, in Joel 2, 25 to 27, there is a promise that meant a lot to me once when I was in a deep, dark hole 
and things had gone really badly for, for me. And, uh, and God said, and the Lord will restore the years that the locust has eaten. That was the most wonderful promise. And then in 2 Timothy, uh, we lost a baby um, early on in, at five months, nearly five months. And my then wife, uh, late wife, um, we were told by the doctors in the hospital that we had to put the new baby, we had a, no, lucky to have another one fairly quickly, on a monitor. And the stupid monitor kept on ringing off all night. And my then wife got totally sick of it. And she, God gave her a promise. And the promise was, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. And <laughs> we had a, a friend at Petoni Baptist who was an artist. He's sadly no longer with us, Roger Bagshaw. And he did a beautiful little picture of a little pen and ink drawing of a bird and that verse. And, and I found it in the cupboard. And a couple of years ago, my, late, my youngest grandson nearly died twice in the, first year, in the first two weeks of life. And so I found this, and I took it with me. I went over there, and it sat above his cot. It now, now sits above his cot. And just like his father, who it used to sit, his father was Nick, and Nick's lungs were about as good as you could get. Um, so it now sits above Wesley's cot, and that's God's promise. And now... I'm not suggesting that we, we run our whole lives on special verses and we go looking for special words that God may give us, but that's what he does. Sometimes he, he will quicken something to you, and I'm sure many of you have got similar um, examples of what I've just shared personally. But, that, but he does that, but not always. We must read it systematically and use whatever system floats our boat. I'm, I'm a, a great Scripture Union supporter because what it meant... Um, to me in my early years helping to run camps and that's where I met Penelope at a script union camp. Uh, so whatever system you use, use it. Every day with Jesus or daily light or... I have to say that I struggle with... At, at my age, I struggle with using the script union online version because what I tend to do is open it up and I'll quickly scan through it just because I'm so used to scanning through all the other messages on my phone. And I've found that it's actually much better to go into the, into the printed word because it slows me down and makes me really think about what God might be saying to you. Now, you young ones are probably so used to, you know, modern technology that doesn't make any difference to you, but that's what I've found. There's also the great advantage of learning Bible verses. I am so grateful that when I was at Maniah Presbyterian Sunday School, we had a wonderful Sunday School teacher and we got a certificate if we learnt the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, the Apostles' Creed, and a whole bunch of other stuff. A couple of years ago, I was doing one of the most wonderful walks in New Zealand, if you've never done it, the Mount Tarawera Climb. Any, any of you done the Mount Tarawera Climb? You go up, you pay your money, they take you up in a bus, and then in the end you climb down into the valley of the, the belly of the beast. And there was a young Maori guide, and I'd slid down the scoria pretty quickly, and, and, I, and I was reminded of the verse, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because that, that um, you know, reminded me that that big trench that was carved out by the eruption of Mount Tarawera reminded me of being in the belly of the beast. And I said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he said, oh, where's that come from? 
And I said, well, it's actually the 23rd Psalm. And I, I rattled off the whole thing to him. And he said, wow. He said, that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, I, I said, well, go and look it up in Tereo because he was fluent in Tereo. So the advantages of learning Bible verses is really important. And we should teach our children. And we, could read, we should read it in groups. I'm sure small groups read the Bible. We should read it as families at the table. We had, a, we had a practice in our household of doing that for a while, but mainly initiated by, by Penelope, who's much more systematic than I am about these things. In our home groups, we, you could, the Bible study fellowship movement or navigators, you know, whatever it is that helps you to read and learn the Bible, both personally and corporately, we need to do it. We need to be reminded that it's, it's crucial, it's central to, to who we are. We should read it to our children. It's critically formative at that age. Our children's minds are just, they soak it up and they, and they learn stuff. And many of you who were brought up in a Christian home and a Christian church will remember hymns. I can remember the, all the verses of all the great old hymns because I learned them going to church Sunday after Sunday. But ask me to remember the verses and some of the stuff we have that are top of the Christian hit parade now and I won't remember them. But it's, it's, a, it's a great resource. Make sure you get a children's Bible and read it to your children. They'll remember it. And, of course, Bible stories in, in children's church and Sunday school we can take and it's read. The Word of God needs to be read and preached in church. We Baptists are not as fortunate as the Anglicans. We have no liturgy, so we have no repetition. Now, sometimes the repetition of liturgy can be boring. And I know a lot of young people who don't like going to, ch to Anglican churches. They like the spontaneity of a Baptist-type church. But, but somehow, the, when, you're, when you're at a, a low ebb in life, the, the simple recitation of God's Word in the liturgy can actually be very, very useful. We must have exegetical preaching, not just topics. We must take the Word of God and, and understand it in its context and expound it. Preaching or teaching the Bible is the best way to learn it. And the Bible, I was reminded of this some years ago when we had pastors with a series of illnesses and we, we wanted spiritual warfare and we got Andrew, one of Andrew and Jackie's relations, I'm sorry, I can't remember their names, but they came along and they conducted with the elders some spiritual warfare. And what amazed me was that all we did was recite scripture. You know, we were confronting the powers of darkness that might in fact have affected our beloved pastor's health. And what we were really doing was reading and reciting scripture together. So there's power in the word of God. That, that was another lesson I learned. So we can use it in spiritual warfare. Above all else, read the Bible to encounter Jesus. You know, we don't just need head knowledge. We need heart knowledge. We need Jesus to come in and dwell in us. But the Bible will inform how we understand that. Martin Luther said, the Bible is the cradle where Christ is laid. N.T. Wright, who um, Rob quotes quite a lot, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, and the book I want to die by. It's a pretty, pretty good statement, isn't it, from a prominent theologian. And Mark Twain, the famous American author of, you know, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they do not understand. But the passages that bother me are those that I do understand. 
because he realized they're the ones where God is actually telling us we have to do something. You know, we have to pull our collective socks up or we have to change the direction of something. We have to, we have to be challenged to do something. I think that's basically all. We thank you for your word. We bless you that we have it. We pray that you will give us a good, um, a better understanding of its importance in our lives. We pray that we would use it personally and communally in our families and in our institutions and that we would fight for it in terms of um, upholding its importance in the lives of our nation and our church. We pray once again for our beloved um, Pastor Rob. We pray you will give him healing mercies, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.